Hi there, I'm Gavin Crawford. I'm a writer, an actor, and a comedian. And for the last eight or nine years, I have been navigating life with my mother's increasing dementia. Has it been sad? Yeah. Has it been funny? Also, yeah. That's what my brand new podcast series, Let's Not Be Kidding, is about. It's the true story of my life as a comedian, my mom, and dementia. Let's Not Be Kidding, with me, Gavin Crawford. A new seven-part series from CBC Podcasts, available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. I went on vacation last week, and I couldn't sleep a wink before we left. Not only because I was so stoked for our first real vacation in years, but because I was scared. I knew the horror stories. I knew how bad it might be. Well, I will just say that uh, the situation at the Toronto airport is unacceptable. But when I see there is a 400-person line with two Air Canada workers, there's a million cancelled flights, everyone's just panicking. They already told us we'll make, miss our flight. I've been waiting for like maybe 30 minutes now. I expect to wait another maybe an hour. More than 129,000 passengers were affected by metering and holding. I'm so in shock at this place. It is the biggest disgrace known to man. So imagine my surprise when Toronto's Pearson Airport ranked among the world's worst, if not the worst, all through last year was fine, efficient even. Now, we were traveling off-season between the holidays and spring break. We left super early for our flight because, well, you heard those clips. And I am nothing if not a paranoid and thus extra-prepared traveler. But still, Pearson worked, at least anecdotally, at least for one family. Does that mean Canada's well-documented airline mess has been cleaned up? What kinds of changes have Pearson and other large airports made to avoid the disasters we saw continually throughout 2022? What lessons has the industry learned and will things go right back to chaos as soon as demand ramps up at the next peak travel period? What do you need to know if you're about to book a vacation? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. John Craddock is a faculty lecturer and program coordinator of supply chain, logistics, and operations management at McGill University. He took a deep dive into the problems and perhaps solutions to Canada's airport woes for the conversation. Hello, John. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm back from vacation. I'm relaxed. Um, and it's a pleasure to talk about airports. Good. I'm glad to see that everything worked well and you didn't lose too many bags, I hope. So this is the thing. Um, I am a nervous traveler. Uh, I was up all night the night before we left because we've reported on all the issues at Pearson and otherwise over the past year. Um, and then everything went so smoothly, I could scarcely believe it. Does this mean that we're all good now? Things have been fixed? People can count on their airports being uh, at least moderately efficient again? If you're going to be traveling until such time as, I would say, March 2nd, March 3rd, um, you should be in pretty good shape. From you know that period of time until about mid-March during school break for most of Canadian schools and Canadian families, uh, it could get a little tense. But at the end of March, we're going to be back into a into the doldrums until I would say about May fifteenth, 
if you really want to make sure that you uh, minimize the potential for disruption on your flight, leave early in the morning, stay away from Fridays and stay away from Sundays and make sure that you arrive, you know, two or three hours early and put an air tracker in your bag if you're going to be checking any bags. So there's, there's a few things that are, you know, now becoming part of the, you know, the standard fare for, you know, for traveling, particularly in these days where we may might have some disruption. So that's great general advice. But what I'd like to do is dig a, a little bit deeper and try to figure out what's changed. You know, uh, airports are always a crapshoot. Tra- air, air travel is always a crapshoot. But the horror stories of last summer and the recent holiday season, what do we know about the root causes of that? Well, I think, you know, if you depend on who you talk to in the industry, everybody seems to like pointing fingers at, at other players in the industry and trying to, you know, kind of abdicate their roles and their responsibilities towards root cause. But I've been looking at it for, for several months and trying to kind of peel back the onion just a little bit to have a look at, you know, how does this, you know, start and where does this evolve? And what happened at Pearson, Trudeau and Vancouver airports, uh, in June, July and August of 2022, you know, was really an accident waiting to happen. Airlines put a lot of capacity out there, uh, whether it's domestic or international capacity and Supplies were sold. People were booking. People that paid money for tickets. You had very little chance of getting a seat, let's say, from Toronto to London or Toronto to Vancouver in middle middle or late July because the flights were full. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the driving force behind the delays was that the airlines basically overcommitted their assets and put a lot of capacity out there without really realizing uh, or, or really recognizing, not realizing, but recognizing that the infrastructure required to support that schedule just wasn't there. They weren't, the resources weren't there. You know, CASA wasn't there. CBSA wasn't there. NAVCAN wasn't there. Even their own crews weren't there. And the airline just kept, you know, pumping out all that capacity on the hope, uh, that, uh, you know, operations would somehow be able to go through this shortage of staff. So that to me is the root cause that the airlines basically over-designed their schedules. What was done in the wake of that? And maybe let's talk about the fall period leading up to the holidays. Like, was this a matter of staffing up? Did other things change? How did airlines respond? Because that was about as bad press as you could imagine for everyone involved. Oh, yeah. When you, when you talk about, you know, everybody was talking about the worst airports in the world. Yeah. You know, there were, were Toronto and, Mon- and Montreal airports. And you're talking about some pretty crappy airports around the world. And, you know, the pride of Canadian aviation has been our airports and the way in which airports are being run. Uh, and all of a sudden we have this, you know, black mark thrown against both Pearson and Trudeau, our international gateways that kind of made press, you know, CNN, BBC. The world was talking about how bad these two airports were. You know, the, the, the question you have to ask yourself, what happened since? And the simple answer is that traffic reduced. I think after you know, everybody got back to school in mid-September, demand dropped off, and the airlines had a chance to basically take a deep breath and cross their fingers to make sure that, you know, things got back onto an even keel, and it did. By the time we got to October, uh, Toronto was still, you know, not not up to its previous stature in terms of 90% on-time performance. It was still stuck around 60 65% on-time 
but a heck of a lot better than it was in July at 40 or 44%. So the problem then became Christmas. Mm-hmm. And Mother Nature, you know, had some nasty surprises and nasty weather show up during winter. And this is, this is an uncommon phenomenon. We do have winter in this country. Right. Um, and But it came in with a vengeance and it happened to hit, you know, during the Christmas peak. So on December 15th and December 16th in Vancouver, you know, you had a, you know, 30 centimeters of snow fall with some freezing rain. You know, that was an uncommon snowstorm in Vancouver, but the Vancouver does get snow. And that kind of was a start of um, a weather pattern that kind of snaked its way across the country. Started on the 16th in Vancouver, ended up in Toronto around the 22nd, 23rd, and 24th, and the same with Montreal. So that one weather system basically wrecked havoc through the aviation system and not for it being a a ferocious snowstorm. We've had, you know, 50 or 60 centimeters of snow and we've had, you know, places like Toronto call out the army for some snow removal, (laughs) but this wasn't one of those snowstorms. It just was the fact that once again, the airlines cranked up all the capacity that they could because they know Christmas season is two weeks long and that's the season where they make the most money and they charge exorbitant fares and the flights are full. People want to go away for Christmas. And this Christmas, people have gone on airplanes because they haven't seen family for three years. Yeah. And the airlines basically were very, very gracious in putting all that capacity out there. But then, you know, the the problem was that there was no flexibility left in their schedules to take into account the fact that Mother Nature reared its proverbial head in the winter and kind of messed things up. So the the lack of flexibility, the lack of resilience, the lack of, of, of any capability to recover uh, by the airlines really cause a problem to, again, exacerbate themselves over the Christmas holidays. During that lull period in the fall that you just mentioned, you know, the traffic fell off, which is great. It allowed things to to operate more smoothly. But did the airlines or the airport authorities actually do anything to increase the capacity for when demand went back up around the holidays? I guess I'm just trying to get a sense of, are we just gambling from one peak season to another? or has there been an effort to address the underlying issues? Good question. And that's the, 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 the point of my article in the conversation was that have we learned anything? Have we? Well, I, you know, I think some of us have. Some of us have. And, it's, and unfortunately, it's not uniform across the industry. Mm-hmm. I think that if I look at you know, the airports and I, and I look at the airport structures and I look at how the airports are, are looking at their operations, let's say for spring break or even looking at it for the summer of 2023, the airports are going to be another very, very busy place because the airlines have created a schedule that cranks up those assets, those airplane assets as hard as they can get because they've lost profitability in the last three years. They're trying to catch up. Just look at Air Canada. You know, in a in a fourth quarter of 2022, as we saw last week in our annual report, yeah, they made 160 million dollars, so they say. But you know, there's a 350 million dollar currency adjustment in there. So hmm. even with all the traffic that they had, even with all the ability that they had to, to in fact get a, an operation in place, they still managed, in my opinion, to lose money in the fourth quarter. And for the whole year, they lost over a billion dollars. So. I think that I've seen glimmers of hope coming out of places like WestJet, where they've rationalized their schedules and they basically have taken an attempt to kind of put together an operating plan that they say has got some resilience built into it and they have the ability to recover Mm -hmm. much more easily than they had 
let's say, last summer or last Christmas. And we all know the story of Sunwing. Sunwing has taken the initiative to reduce their schedules. And we've seen cancellations across the Canada, across Canada of their services as a reflection of the fact that they went over the edge when it came to planning services and or selling flights for which they had, didn't have adequate pilots. So Sunwing's taken a step back from their schedules. WestJet's kind of rationalized their services. I'm still of the opinion that, you know, Air Canada still might be at risk, hmm. uh, both during spring break and the summer peak. Listen, airports are busy all the time, right? And pre-pandemic, you know, you would expect the airport to be busy, but there's a difference between busy and like total disaster. So what tips that over? So that dance between the airport and the airline and all of the other agencies usually takes place four or five months ahead of time. So if I look at, you know, the summer of 2023, the airlines, you know, did send to the airports, you know, the schedule of what the summer of 2023 looks like. And they've known since last fall what spring break is going to look like. And then what they do is they basically just give you the airplanes. Hmm. And this is the schedule. And this is what we're planning. No notion of passengers. Right. The airports have no idea how many passengers are going to get on board those airplanes. They just know they have X number of airplanes coming in and out. Um, but, you know, the critical piece of information that's missing, it's, it seems, since the pandemic, is the airlines really aren't providing passenger load information to the airports and to the agencies that allows them to make sure that they've got the right level of staffing required to support those passengers. They have enough gates because that's what airplanes use. The problem is passengers is, is still very much an unknown quantity for the airports and they, and they're reacting hour by hour, minute by minute, depending on how the airlines basically have sold their schedule and the number of passengers coming in there. So passenger counts, uh, both inbound and outbound, are a critical piece of information that the airports and the agencies need, and they're not getting it. Would it be fair to say, and I don't want to put words in your mouth here, but we're talking about lessons learned. Is one of them for the airlines simply like, don't let your mouth write checks that your butt can't cash? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. That's what exactly what happened. They're greedy because they've lost a lot of money over the last two and a half years because of the pandemic and all of the restrictions that the pandemic has provided. Yeah. And, you know, the focus of attention of the shareholders of these airlines is recover the profitability. Get back in there and make as much money as you can. Again, I'll go back to Air Canada's statements on Friday. If you listen carefully to what they were saying and, and, and understand the publications of their data, it's all financial. And it's about cost. It's about cost containment. It's about you know balance sheet impacts. It's about income statements, source and uses of funds, cash flows, free cash, all great stuff. Nobody's talking about service. Mm -hmm. Nobody's talking about on-time performance. Nobody's talking about the amount of time you have to spend on the phone waiting to talk to somebody about a flight that Air Canada or anybody else has canceled. And you're trying to figure out what what's the game plan here, folks. Right. So it seems to me that as a result of you know the, the, the cutbacks that the airlines did within the pandemic and the resources they lost, they lost a lot of experience. They lost a lot of customer contact expertise. That expertise is, is hard to come by. And that's what's causing the airlines to kind of say, well, right now our focus is on cost containment, revenue maximization, and customer service takes a backseat. And that unfortunately is very prevalent through the industries. And it's not just Canada, the US, the Europe, we're all, we're all in the same boat. 
we cut off our nose in spite of our face. We, <laughs> we laid off tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in the industry worldwide to minimize costs during a time when we had no traffic, but we are paying the price. Right. It's going to take months, if not years, before we rebuild that level of expertise and experience and customer goodwill yeah. uh, that we uh, experienced prior to the pandemic. You know, you talk about airlines being greedy and focused on cash and not service. Is this a place, at least in this country, where more competition might serve us well? There are not a lot of Canadian carriers left, and even some of them are owned by other ones. Like, would that help, or is it is it just a matter of the infrastructure? Oh, I, I would take issue with the fact, with your statement about not enough competition. Really? Explain. Unfortunately, you know, the competition is not in every single city pair. But, you know, if I look at, you know, we, we've had three airlines start up in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah. We've had Flair, we've had Lynx, we've had Canada Jetlines. We've seen Porter kind of rearrange its, its operating plan to, to, to move into jets and fly out of Pearson. You know, where do these guys want to fly their airplanes? They want to fly the airplanes where, where the market is dense enough to basically be able to attract traffic and attract people, you know, with a pricing structure that kind of undercuts the big players. Hmm. So you have, you know, guys like Flair who currently are the price leaders domestically in Canada, at least that, you know, will get you from Toronto to Vancouver for 133 bucks all in taxes in one way. You know, Air Canada sitting at typically would have been around 400, 450, but Air Canada had to react to Flair and so did WestJet. So, and so did the links. And everybody's now sitting within a buck of each other at 133 Toronto, Vancouver. Hmm. You know, and there are six carriers flying Toronto, Vancouver. July 14th, 2023, there are 33 flights flying between Toronto and Vancouver. And that is an unheard of number of flights. The market is not that big. Right. That's more than they have between New York and L.A. <laughs> and, you're, and you're saying, what's, what's going on here? What's happened to the Canadian market? And to me, it's just carriers just going nuts, trying to maintain share of market on the part of Air Canada and WestJet. And some of the smaller guys just trying to get a piece of the action. Okay. And that's what Flair and Lynx and Porter, to a lesser degree, are doing. They're going after the larger markets, basically say it's a lot easier for us to get one passenger out of that Toronto-Vancouver market than, let's say, to get one passenger out of the Toronto-to-Saskatoon market or the Toronto-to-Halifax market. Does that ultimately serve the Canadian traveler or not? No, it doesn't. Of course not. You know, it, it does serve, you know, the, the cities. It serves Toronto, you know, Calgary. Right. The big guys. The big guys. And so, and, you, and if you want to go to the smaller, you want to go to Smithers, you want to go to Fort Saskatchewan, you want to go to McMurray, or you want to go to Thunder Bay, good luck. Hmm. You're, you know, you're, you're going to be flying with, you know, one or two carriers that are out there because the, the, the newer carriers aren't interested in those smaller markets. You know, and I made I made the testimony before the House of Commons Committee on Transportation a couple of times this last fall, saying, you know, we've got a problem here in Canada in terms of uh, trying to understand what is it that we have to have in terms of a structure in Canada that, that democratizes transportation and then that makes air transportation, uh, you know, an unassailable human right. <laughs> we have a country that absolutely positively needs air transportation in order for us to survive. You're not going to rail it from Toronto to Calgary or not to, or Vancouver on a via rail train, you know, that operates three times a week. You're not going to do that. And so we need air transportation to basically make this country tick. And I think that, you know, that's where 
the government and its regulatory bodies have in the past kind of turned a tune to say air transportation in Canada is a user pay environment, which means the users of the air services should pay for the infrastructure associated with air, which is okay to a certain degree. Yeah, you're right. Why should, you know, Joe Q Public in, in Sault Ste. Marie, you know, be subsidizing somebody who wants to fly between Toronto and Vancouver? Good question. But I think that we, you know, there are a lot of things happening in the, in the Canadian political system that basically says we basically subsidize. We basically cross-subsidize services that we think are essential to the survival of the country. And this is one of them. Right. You know, if you lose air transportation, you know, you are taking a hit economically as a country. And I think that that's where the government somehow, some way has, you know, embarked back in the 90s on this user pay mentality reaffirmed by the Emerson report back in 2016. And I think the pandemic has, you know, to me, given us a lesson saying, hey, guys, you know, user pay doesn't work. You know, the airlines are trying to reduce their debt load and recover the interest payments by flying the butts off of these airplanes. But the airports have got no, nowhere else to turn to to get revenues, but to charge you the airport improvement fees, which are climbing higher and higher. We're at 35 bucks at Toronto and high and climbing. We're at 45 bucks in Halifax and climbing. Those are the only tools that the airport, the airports have to kind of raise revenue to cover off the interest payments on the debts they've incurred over the last three years to keep the airports open. Right. And so the, the time has come, in my opinion, for Canada and for transport and for the, the, the leaseholders of these airports to kind of look at a different business model. Uh, and it's either time to privatize the airports completely and let, you know, public funding kind of be the tool that we'll use to kind of run the airports and, and make sure there's sustainability within the airports. Or we take away the, the, the infrastructure that we currently have, which is a not-for-profit model and just say, we're going to go back to government run hmm. and then let the government, you and me, fund the, the infrastructure that's required to support aviation in Canada. We started about talking about my vacation, and now we're talking about air travel as a human right. <laughs> it's great. I have one last question to bring it back because I know people want me to ask this one. You mentioned that airlines are looking four or five months out as they try to make plans, as they try to suss out what the situation will be. What would you tell uh, Canadians right now who are booking flights four or five months out, whether that's for a summer vacation or to visit family across the country or whatever, what would you tell them to do? What should they expect? I, my, my crystal ball isn't isn't working too well today. It's a little cloudy. I won't hold you to it. I just want to. I just want a little taste. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a mess. Hmm. Prices are very high. There's a lot of capacity out there. The airlines are salivating with all the demand that's going to be showing up. And they put a lot of capacity out there. Those 33 flights I mentioned between Toronto and Vancouver, the odds of all 33 flights operating, slim to none. Huh. They, now, whether they cancel short term or they cancel day of flight or later on, I'm not sure. But there's no way in heck that those 33 flights are going to operate. Yeah. You book now, be prepared for at least three or four schedule changes. You know, don't book a cruise three hours after your planned flight is supposed to arrive because it will not work. The odds are you will get schedule changed. Uh, and then if you do show up at the airport, do show up early. Don't check a bag unless you have to. And if you do check a bag, put an air tracker in the bag. Gosh, that's dismal. I'm, I'm only going to travel in mid-February from now on. 
<laughs> stay away from stay away from school break. Yeah, April's not bad. You know, they, the crocuses are starting to show up. The flowers are out in Victoria, so okay. it'll be a nice time to travel across Canada. But uh, yeah, you know, as of May fifteenth, June first, stay away. Thank you so much for this, John. Uh, really fascinating. All right, I hope I helped. Take care of yourself. John Graddock of McGill University. That was The Big Story. For more from us, you can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. We've got all our episodes there. You can talk to us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. You can always email us with episode ideas at hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca. And you can call us and leave a voicemail if you still like the phone, 416-935-5935. The Big Story is available wherever you listen to podcasts, If you listen to podcasts on Apple or another platform that lets you review them, please do us the favor. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.